I'll pray and we'll go to the word. So just follow in your hearts. I'm reading from Luke chapter 8, verse 16 and on. Jesus speaking and he says, No one, when he has lit a lamp, covers it with a vessel or puts it under a bed, but he sets it upon a lampstand that those who enter might see the light. For nothing is secret that will not be revealed, nor anything hidden that will not be known and come to light. Therefore, take heed how you hear. For whoever has, to him more will be given. And whoever does not have, even what he seems to have will be taken from him. So, Father, again, bless these words and teaching to our hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Be seated. Thank you. It's such a joy to be students of the Bible. Amen. Amen. To be disciples growing in our faith on a journey of faith together. This uh, Tuesday, we're having our summer Bible classes every Tuesday night in August. um, uh, Bible class. Uh, we're going to have a a, a really good teaching. The theme is getting to know your Bible. And if you can come on Tuesday nights through August, you will find some handles and some answers on the the Bible. What is the theme? What is the message? How do the books fit together? What is the purpose of, of the book? What is the journey of truth and revelation that God is giving us through the Bible? So all, all believers, welcome, old and new, uh, draw near on Tuesday night. That's at 7 o'clock right here. There'll be a time for, for questions and answers following. Tuesday night at 7. I'm so excited. Are you excited for that? I hope you are. Okay, we've had a journey in the book of Luke as we begin here. And uh, we just read a few verses together. And this is in the context of Jesus telling some parables. We know that Jesus taught in, in excess of 40 different parables. It was, a, it was a common use of teaching, of framing, of highlighting a particular truth. Uh, one central truth particularly was what Jesus would, would use parables for. And he's just taught what is commonly known, the parables by the sea. And they are covered for us in, in Luke 8, also in the book of Mark, chapter 4, and Matthew, chapter 13. And we remember in this parable that he just, uh, amongst these parables, he just taught on the sower, the parable of the sower. And one sower with the same seed, sowing the seed, but the thing that was different was the soil. And therefore, the result or the effect that the seed had was different for each soil. And when Jesus explained the parable, he said that the seed that fell on the pathway, like the hardened ground, it fell, it rested there, but the birds swooped down or the demons came and took it away, unless they would be saved. And that is quite a shocking situation for anyone's life, that they would hear the word. And remember, all the soils represent different people who all heard the same word, 
but some received it and some didn't. In this case, they heard the word and they didn't receive it. And before they could actually come to salvation, that, that was robbed from them. Then the rocky soil, again, was those who heard the word. They received it with joy, but as soon as there was um, a trial or a challenge, there was no roots, no depth, and they fell away. Those seed among the thorns or the, the, the thorny soil, it grew up with the thorns, and the thorns choked the word, and the, the thorns representing the cares or the pleasures of the world. But the focus and the target for us as believers is the good soil. Jesus said, the ones that fell on the good ground or the good soil are those, these are people who having heard the word with a noble or an honest and good heart, kept it and bear fruit with patience. Good soil, good seed, and good fruit. And in the context of these parables by the sea, as he's speaking to the multitudes, the disciples come to him and they say, why do you teach in parables? And if we compare the Gospels, Jesus clearly answers. For example, in Matthew, uh, Matthew's Gospel in 13, he says, I speak to them in parables because seeing they do not see and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Notice that word, understand. He continues in verse 15, For the hearts of this people have grown dull. Their ears are hard of hearing, and their eyes have they closed. Unless they would see with their eyes and hear with their ears, and here it is again, lest they should understand with their hearts and turn so that I should heal them. Incredible potential in a person's life as a hearer that the word would bring forth fruit, that there will be a, a turning, an understanding, a healing, an effect in someone's life. He, later on in that passage, in verse 23, again, he likens those who receive the soil on good ground. And in Matthew's gospel, he says this, he who receives the seed on good soil is he who hears the word and understands it. Now, the understanding is that which follows the right heart attitude. If you have meekness and humility and faith before God and his word, he will bless you with understanding. There will be anointing upon your ears, an opening of the heart, and an understanding that you'll be gifted with. So Jesus connects these, this principle to a, a passage in Isaiah, a prophecy, those that were hearing that would not hear, those that were not believing, not understanding, not receiving, and the truth was veiled to them because their hearts were fixed in unbelief, particularly we think of the Pharisees. But anyone there that was fixed in their unbelief decided that they were not going to be moved. And when Jesus finished the parable, many just moved on, perhaps with the question, what was the parable? Did you? I didn't understand. And they left. But the disciples asked Jesus, what did the parable mean? And he blessed them with the answer and explained to the disciples because they were waiting, they were, they were asking, they were um, wanting to understand the truth. So, 
Jesus told parables. Why? Was it to hide the truth? Or was it to display the truth? Certainly parables, the design of it is to put truth on display. It is to take this one truth and principle, put it into a made-up story to highlight and drive home this particular truth. If you like, it's to frame the truth in gold. It is to put it on a display for everyone to see. Do you understand this truth that the parable is relaying? So the parable is not to hide truth, although the careless listener... Well, does not find it. But for those who have the good soil and the expectation and faith, the truth is discovered to them. So now this comes to our passage this morning in verse 16. Jesus says, No one, when he has lit a lamp, covers it with a vessel or puts it under a bed. Jesus, why are you telling parables? Is it to hide the truth? No one, when he has lit a lamp, covers it with a vessel or puts it under a bed, but he sets it on a lampstand that those who enter may see. Now, it's simple, that little parable there, isn't it? He tells this other little parable to explain why he tells parables. He says, no one would light a lamp and then hide it. You light the lamp and you put it on a, on a stand or a, or a candlestick so that those who enter the room may see. The act of lighting the lamp is for the purpose of illumination, that those may see. That's the point. No one in their right mind would light a lamp and then hide it, because then it doesn't serve its purpose. He sets it on a lampstand, notice that, for it to shine, for it to have its effect. And the lampstand in this parable speaks of that idea of truth being unveiled or communicated clearly. In this context, Jesus telling the parables. But anyone teaching, preaching, sharing, opening the understanding of truth. That's what the lampstand speaks of. So, look at the last phrase, that those who enter may see the light. You know the phrase, I've seen the light. I remember that's how I felt when I first became a believer. I, I didn't see that before, but now I see. I, I understand it. I was blessed with understanding because there was illumination that came to the truth by the Holy Spirit. This parable of the light shining is also used several other places in the Gospels. For example, in Matthew 5, there it's used to speak of the disciples and their ministry. He speaks to them about letting their light shine. I'll read it to you. He says, Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, and here he explains it, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. So whether it's through words and explanation and sharing the gospel or through the testimony of a Christian life, there is a light that shines that others may also see. So if you have the light, let it shine. If you are a born-again Christian and the Spirit of God in you, you have the light of God. If you understand the gospel through that illumination, 2 Corinthians 4.4, no, 4 three or in that passage where it speaks about us being uh, uh, 
earthen vessels with the light of the gospel in us. Let us let it shine. So parables are creative ways to frame the truth. Jesus used them very commonly to shine a light on a particular truth. Verse 17. For nothing is secret that will not be revealed. And again, you've got to take this verse in the context. You can't just cherry-pick verses and apply them to mean what you think it means. I've heard this verse misapplied many times through my Christian life, but you have to understand it in the context. Nothing is secret. The word means concealed or private or inward. That will not be revealed or made known or made manifest. Right? He's speaking about truth and a parable being a way to put light on the truth. And then he says, nothing is concealed that will not be revealed or nothing hidden. And again, that word means to be kept secret. That will not be known. And this word, genosko, to come to know something that I didn't know before. So Jesus is saying you put the lamp on the stand so that the light shines, so that which is not known will become known and gradually become clearer. And there's a promise here for the disciples, which also is extended to us, that part of our journey as Christians is a progressive understanding and revelation of the truth. Psalm 36, 9, I think it is, says, in your light we shall see light. And there's a promise that Jesus makes here for those who are have the soil of humility ready to mix faith with the word and wanting to know God in their life. God says, listen, continue in the word. Continue in the truth. Walk in the light and I will meet you there. I will speak to you. I will take that which is unknown and make it known to you. Uh, 1 Corinthians 2 Um, 12 says we have received the Holy Spirit that we might know that which is freely given to us, right? Why do we have the Holy Spirit? That we might know things that we would otherwise not know unless God illuminated that truth for us. He made that promise to his disciples when the Holy Spirit is come, the comforter, he will guide you in all truth. That's a wonderful promise and a, and a, a major ministry of the Holy Spirit. It is that of illumination, and we taught that on the last Pentecost service, you might remember. So more understanding can be given. Have you recognized that in your life, on your journey, that you perhaps have grown to understand certain truths in ways that you didn't uh, in the beginning, and that's beautiful, keeps, us, uh, keeps it so fresh for us. So more understanding to be given. We have the light of the gospel. I don't know if I have this verse up. I haven't, but listen to this. In 1 John 5.20, right at the end of that amazing epistle, this is what it says. And we know, hello? We know, shh, It's a secret. But we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding. This is something that we know. It is a centerpiece of truth in our fellowship. Shh. We know. 
we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding. We know that. Listen. That we may know Him who is true and that we are in Him who is true. What amazing secrets that God has shared with us as his people, that we know that the Son of God has come, that we know that we can know him, and we know that we are in him. Wow, that is beautiful. We fellowship around that truth often. Now, if it's true that the truth can be hidden from those who are careless or hard in their hearts, or indifferent, or familiar, or passive, or unbelieving, if it's true that the truth can be spoken, and they can hear it, and yet it does not take root, it does not bring them to salvation, it does not guide them in illumination, if it's true that those who have good soil and are ready to mix faith with the Word of God can be enlightened, then... This warning is very fitting in verse 18. Therefore, take heed how you hear. Isn't that a sober warning? If God is saying, listen, I am ready to give truth and light and an increase and a blessing in your understanding. I'm ready to give that. He who has an ear, let him hear and take heed how you hear. For whoever has, to him more will be given. In Mark's account, he actually uses that phrase right before. He says, if anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. As a young believer or an older believer, it's such an important thing to learn to ensure we are Hearing correctly. I have always loved Ecclesiastes 5.1 where it says, when, when you come into the house of God, guard your steps and be, be more ready to hear than to give the sacrifice of fools. Oh, shh. Be ready to hear. Someone might say, oh, I know that. Shh. Be ready to hear. Oh, I've been a Christian for 20 years. Oh, I went to Bible college. God wants to teach you something. God wants to illuminate something. God wants to show you something. And oh, how beautiful it is that I would humble my heart when I come into the house of God and when his word is opened. There's a holy hush in my heart. And I say, Lord, 1 Samuel 3.10, speak, Lord, because your servant listens. Oh, that you would anoint my ear that I might hear. Take heed how you hear. And of course, hearing is what the parable that we studied a couple of weeks ago, the parable of the sower, that's what it's all about. Of course, it's about hearing. Hearing, and I love that phrase in the, in the New King James, it says, with an honest and good heart. 
It doesn't say with a sinless heart, with a perfect heart, but with an honest heart, an open heart, a correctable heart, a teachable heart, like David had. In Psalm 139, search me, O God, and show me if there is any wicked way in me that I may, that you would lead me in the way everlasting. It's not a heart that is defensive or ready to rationalize his lifestyle or his sin or be defensive against conviction, but it's like, oh, speak to me, Lord. Show me, because I am a believer. I am seeking, looking, I desire a fuller understanding. This is why James 1.21 says, receive with meekness the engrafted word. And that, that, the idea there is a seed that is just ready to germinate. It's just ready to spring forth and, and grow and, bring, and bear fruit. And we are told to receive that word with what? With meekness. Receive with meekness the engrafted word. It means to be teachable, to be open, to be ready, to be more ready to hear. Because it is, and then the next part says, for it is able to deliver your soul. It's able. But I feel it says, receive it with meekness, for it is able to deliver your soul. I think that means that it doesn't always deliver the soul of every hearer. Right? 1 Thessalonians 2.13 says, When you hear not the word of men, but the word of God, which is able, there it is again, uh, sorry, which effectually works in those who believe. So in in whose life and heart does it work in? Those who believe. Oh, that's a good soil, the believing soil, the soil that is mixing faith with the word of God. Certainly that day when the multitudes were gathered, there were some in the crowd that were not hearing. There were some in the crowd that were representing the, the, the hard ground and the stony ground and the thorny soil. And that's why Jesus was teaching that principle. The Pharisees did not come to receive, to humble themselves. They came to defend. They came to catch him out. They weren't coming to be moved from their position, but they only wanted to uh, uh, reject. They would already decided they were to reject him, and they had no. Uh, they were not to be persuaded otherwise. But there were others there who were believers. They maybe didn't fully understand everything that was being said. Have you ever felt like that in a service? That you don't understand everything? Have you ever read a verse and thought, I don't quite understand this? Hello? Right? All of us, of course. I don't understand every verse. I am on a journey of of growth. I'm a disciple like you. But oh, how beautiful and exciting that is, that we read a verse or we hear something, and even though we don't understand it, we have already decided, oh, this is God's word, and I am not the judge of God's word, but I am his child, I am his disciple, and I humbly submit to it, and I go on believing that in time, That which is secret will be revealed, and that which is unknown will be known. That I am on a journey of illumination, a journey of understanding. And I understand today much 
much more than I understood when I was a brand new believer. And may the years bless us that way as we go on until the final day when we, when we will know him, when we will know even as we are known, it says, that now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. Now we know in part, then we shall know even as we are known. Now we see in a mirror darkly, but then we shall see, we will understand. We long for that day, but we love this journey that we are on. Notice this phrase. It should catch our attention. For whoever has, to him more will be given. i read to you what Mark's account says. We have it here. He says, take heed what you hear. With the same measure you use. Isn't that interesting? Here, it's not just about hearing, but it's, it's about, he uses the word, to so the same measure you use it, it will be measured to you. And to you who hear, more will be given. For whoever has, to him more will be given. And whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. Notice that phrase, it will be measured to you. What will be measured to you and I? based on how we hear and how we use it, right? We are not to be hearers only, but we are to be doers of the word. There is a faith application in our life. We are believers. And it will be measured to you. There will be light and illumination and truth and understanding measured out to you. Notice what it says here in Hebrews chapter 5 about using. Though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk and not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching of righteousness. Verse 14, but solid food is for the mature who because of constant use, there it is again. This isn't theory, this isn't abstract, this isn't a book on a shelf. This is truth that is applied and worked out in our lives. Because of constant or continual use have trained themselves to discern good from evil. So whoever has an ear to hear, let him hear, receiving, applying what you hear by faith, walking in the light of the word, using what he is given, and more will be given unto him with his growth and his spiritual maturity. God gives more. I, I find that um, exciting, don't you? I, I see a promise there. More will be given. I see a promise in that. And let's go back to verse 18, the B part. Whoever does not have, even what he seems to have, will be taken from him. And I think they're key words that Luke uses there. That which he seems to have. Could be someone who walks the walk and talks the talk, or like the Pharisees, wears the garment and uses the vocabulary and has knowledge. But what they seem to have is taken away from them. Much knowledge 
but not knowing him, not knowing the most important thing, not having come to understanding. Oh, but a good hearer, receiving and accepting and believing. We were driving through the country lanes of France, France, the other day, and Emily said to me, Dad, can we, can we have a Bible devotion as we drive? And I said, no. No, I'm kidding. I said, of course. Oh, so we had a beautiful time of fellowship. And I shared this verse with her. Uh, oh, gosh. Haggai, no. Yeah, Haggai 10, 12. It says, turn over the fallow ground. Turn over the hard soil. Sorry, Hosea. I knew it began with H. Hosea 10, 12. Turn over the fallow ground, the hard ground, like a farmer would prepare the soil. And God told Israel that they should do that. Turn over the soil so it is not hard. Be guarded that your hearts do not become hard. The soil does not become hard. But as part of your spiritual disciplines and in your preparation and in your devotion, make sure you are turning over the soil of your heart to receive the word. And Emily said, how do you do that? How do you turn over the soil of your heart? And we shared about what it means to have devotion. We shared about, we spoke about meditation, about thinking about God's love and just thinking about that truth and saying, oh, God loves me. And oh, I have sinned and I don't deserve it. But God has given grace to me. And as I do that, I'm turning over the soil and I take off the shoes and I'm in God's presence. And it's an attitude of heart. And I can go from having a hard heart an unbelieving heart, a heart of indifference and passivity and familiarity to a heart that is ready before God, that is meek, teachable, ready to receive God's word. I'm going to read you a few verses from Hebrews chapter 3, which is a wonderful passage about, um, about the hardness of the heart. And in this passage, the writer of Hebrews looks back to the Old Testament saints, the Israel as they came out of Egypt and as they wandered through the wilderness, and he addresses the principle of the hardening of the heart. What does it mean to harden the heart? It, it relates to unbelief. It's choosing not to believe. So he says here, He says, as the Holy Spirit says, and he's quoting from the Psalms, the Old Testament, today, if you hear his voice, his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did, as, the, as Israel did in the rebellion in the wilderness during the time of testing in the wilderness, where your fathers tested and tried me for 40 years and, and they saw what I did. That's why I was angry with that generation. And I said, their hearts are going astray. They have not known my ways. So I declared an oath in my anger, this is God speaking, that they will not enter into my rest. And now the author of Hebrews goes back to his audience. And he says, so brothers, let's be careful. Let's take heed. Let's make sure that none of us 
have a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. What a fearful thing that would be to have heard, have even come to the light and become a Christian, and yet I begin to lose what I had or seem to have in some cases. But he says, but encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. And often the reason for someone not receiving and not believing can be traced to the root of of a desire or pleasure or sin or mindset that they don't want to move from. And they perhaps have a concept that, oh, I, I, if I believe in God, I, I, I have to lose this. And we would say, listen, if you get to know God, you won't care about that because you would have found something so much greater, and that is God. He is the great reward. He says again, quoting from the Old Testament, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. So let's go back now, and we'll finish here. In Luke 8, uh, verse 19. Now, right after he's told this parable, a situation comes where his mother and brothers come knocking at the door. This is connected in the passage. It's, it's in the context here for a, for a reason. His mother and brothers came to him and could not approach him because of the crowd. Matthew's Gospel tells us, As he was speaking to the multitudes, his mother and brothers came seeking to speak to him. And listen to this. In Mark's gospel, it says, Jesus entered a house and again a crowd gathered so that he and his disciples were not even able to eat. And when his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him. For they said, he is out of his mind. He's lost it. Jesus, your brother Jesus, he's lost it. And they wanted to go and take charge of him and like, this has got to stop. And we know that Jesus' brothers didn't actually become believers until after the resurrection. At this point, they did not understand who he was and what he was saying. So they said, let's, come on, let's, get, let's go grab Jesus to get him out of there. What's happening? He has lost his mind. That gives us an added insight. So it was told him by some who said, your mother and your brothers are standing outside desiring to see you. Again, Matthew adds, to speak with you. And Mark tells us they wanted to lay control and get him out of there. Also in Matthew's gospel, there's a question that Jesus asked that is not here in Luke. He asked the question, who is my mother and who are my brothers? Now, when you read that story on the surface, it seems a bit harsh that Jesus would say that. Who's my mother? Who's my brothers? But when you understand the context and what he is teaching about, and that his brothers were not even believers and they didn't understand, they thought he was crazy, it's a bit more fitting. Again, in Mark's Gospel, I'll read to you. It says that he looked around in a circle at those who sat around him and said, Here are my mother and brothers. He looked to those who were listening, who were receiving the word. 
In Matthew's Gospel, again, it says he stretched out his hand towards his disciples and said, Here are my mother and my brothers, for whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and my sister and my mother. And let's see how Luke finishes it off. He answered and said to them, My brother, my mother and my brothers are those who, notice this, hear the word of God and do it. See how it's in context of the parables he's just taught? Those who hear and use, those who hear and do, those who hear and believe and receive. Of course, family is precious. That's not what the question here. He wasn't disrespecting them. He was highlighting this, this situation to, to, to teach that truth further. Yes, we are to be hearers, but also believers, also doers, those who apply the word. Receive the word of God with meekness, which is able to deliver your souls. And do not be hearers only, but to be doers. For those who hear the word and do not do it are deceiving their own selves. So what a joy it is to be hearers, amen? But also let us receive and continue on this wonderful journey where God teaches us and gives us more. So Father, we pray together. We seal this together in a prayer. We thank you for the privilege of being hearers of your word. And oh Lord, we want to guard our steps. We want to guard our hearts against the natural attitudes of pride or indifference that we might have to you. Or we humble ourselves. We humble our hearts before you afresh again and again. We, we believe and trust these promises that you said, oh, he who has, you will give more. That you will teach us. You will give us understanding and light and illumination on our journey of faith. We trust you for that, that by your spirit, we might understand and see and follow you. We pray together, perhaps there is someone listening online this morning, or even with us gathered here today. Or if you're not sure of your salvation, if you're not sure about who Jesus is or why he came, listen, God has brought you to this place to this moment, to this opportunity that you can hear and also you can believe. And in that that moment of faith, oh God will give you understanding. So let this prayer be yours. Oh Jesus, I open my heart to you today by faith. Oh God, I ask you to reveal yourself to me, to come into my life to give me understanding and illumination, that if this is true, I I want it. I want the Holy Spirit in my life. I want Jesus as my Savior. I want to know you, Father. I thank you for the gift of salvation, something that I cannot earn, but you give to me freely by grace through faith. Bless bless each one here on their journey of faith, I pray. Encourage us. Bless this church family, each brother, each sister, all of the children, the teenagers. 
and, uh, and we ask you to continue to build us, encourage us, help us, teach us, unify us together in the truth. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.